0: This Boss Barista episode is brought to you by Ernex. If you've worked in the coffee industry, you probably know Ernex well. You've used their products to clean your equipment. You've attended an event that they've supported. You're probably even using Cafisa at home to clean your pots and pans. One of Ernex's latest advances is a range of environmentally friendly cleaners called BioCaf. BioCAF products are made entirely from plant and mineral based ingredients and are fully biodegradable. They're available for both commercial and household coffee equipment, so you can use them at the cafe just as easily as you can use them at home. But Ernix is doing more than just making eco friendly cleaners. They've partnered with people like me and several other coffee professionals to highlight some of the best sustainability efforts in the industry with the BioCAF Sustainability Series. I'm super excited to be part of this initiative and to have another platform to share my thoughts on topics like sustainability. Visit the Ernex website to read my recent piece on Onyx Coffee Labs switch to oat milk in their latest cafe and learn more about BioCaf by visiting www.ernex.com. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity, and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. I think most of this interview can be summed up by a quote from today's guest. They wrote, everything you do is better than what you didn't do. My guest today is Brittany Sims, a barista and copywriter who runs the non-binary barista blog. Brittany talks about gender in the workplace, But they also talk about accessibility issues, being neurodivergent, and how to deal with the trauma and big feelings that you might have at work. Essentially, Brittany's blog humanizes service workers and shines a light on the real experiences people go through at work. Brittany is a person who tries things. They've been writing for almost two decades, spanning genres and different platforms. The non-binary barista is a trove of incredible insights and ideas, but Brittany is also a published fiction writer, and in this interview demonstrates their willingness to try new things and be vulnerable. Brittany bucks the traditional ways that we view customer service, the leave your feelings at the door mentality, and we talk about how interactions with customers can be authentic and true to the way that both service workers and customers feel. Change begins with having a conversation, picking a starting point, and being open to new ideas. Brittany has a talent for being present, acknowledging both the humanity of others around them, but also within themselves. Here's Brittany. Britt, I was hoping that you could start by telling me
1: who you are, your pronouns, where you're based, and what you do in the coffee industry. Yeah, so my name is Brittany Sims. I use they, them pronouns. I am based in Williamsburg, Virginia, but I'm originally from California, and I am a barista as well as a coffee writer.
0: If you were in an elevator and you had to explain the non-binary barista, how would you describe that project to someone?
1: Non-binary barista is a website that talks about workplace dynamics, gender, being disabled and neurodivergent, and kind of being a marginalized individual working in the coffee industry. So I talk about a lot of things, as well as some random coffee experiments like stacking pour over cones
0: that we're going to get into, which I'm really excited about. I'm going to ask you more questions about how many things you can stack on top of each other or how many filters you can put into something. Um, But I was wondering, what prompted you to first start the Non-Binary Barista?
1: So when I started the Non-Binary Barista, I had a lot of thoughts about just working in the coffee industry, about how I wanted it to look like, the support for baristas that I didn't feel like we had It's kind of becoming a topic of conversation now, but it wasn't really at the time. And at first, I was a little nervous. I had been blogging since 2008 with various projects and decided to just kind of write down different blog post ideas that I had and was like, let's see if I have even enough for a blog. And I filled three pages in like 20 minutes. So I was like, "Okay, clearly I have a lot to say and decided to. Make a blog, it was January of 2020, so pre-COVID, and then it became what it is now, and was kind of my link to the coffee industry, both when I was working in coffee as well as when I wasn't. I love that your
0: blog is this almost like reflection of what working in coffee has been like and what experiencing the coffee industry has been like during COVID, which I definitely want to talk a little bit more about as we move on. But another thing that you mentioned, too, that I really liked. Was that you weren't sure if you were gonna have anything to write about, so you gave yourself an exercise to figure it out, and I think that that's probably one of the biggest hurdles. You know, I I write a lot too, and sometimes I'm like I don't have anything to write about, but oftentimes I have to use like an exercise or a technique to kind of get my creative like my creative ideas going. Um, and I like that you mentioned it's like not just like oh I have an idea and I woke up and I'm gonna write about this thing, but like there are exercises, there are ways that you approach writing to get that. That energy going.
1: Yeah, it comes from like almost two decades now of writing where I was just like, okay, I've had definitely blogs where I was like, I'm going to do a cooking blog. And then it was like, okay, I've posted two recipes and I hate taking pictures of food. So this is a bad (laughs) idea. (laughs) So after many, many blogs that kind of either took off and then had technical issues or didn't take off, I was like, okay, before I start this massive undertaking, I get really excited and then kind of drop it. Let's see if I actually have enough to actually do this.
0: So you mentioned over two decades of writing. So have you always been someone who's wanted to write and capture down experiences?
1: Yes. So I started writing when I was like 10. I started off with really terrible fan fiction and then moved on to regular fiction. I have done poetry. I've done journalism. I went to college for writing. and. So now I mostly write articles and uh, science fiction and fantasy novels.
0: And you're a published writer in that arena, which I also want to touch upon a little bit. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you first got into coffee.
1: Yeah, so... I was, I'd graduated college, I was working in theater, but mostly internships, so I wasn't getting paid. And I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I make money off of my writing off of working in theater, which I love. And so a coffee shop near my house was hiring and I had gone there for like a year, just almost every day. And applied, wanted to work there so bad that I even had like panic attacks the night before hoping to get the job. (laughs) And because I'm a very nervous sort of person. Um, But I got the job. And originally, it was just kind of this cool gig of working in a coffee shop while I figured out what to do with my life. But while I was working there, I just Fell in love with the craft of making coffee. I fell in love with getting to know regulars because I worked there for two and a half years. So I got to really form deep relationships with them. Uh, and because of working there for that long, I also got uh, really good relationships with my coworkers, with the owners, and really just fell in love with coffee shops as a whole.
0: Something that I really love about your blog is that it feels like it talks to a lot of different people, but without alienating anybody. So I think that if you're somebody who is a coffee shop owner or a boss or somebody who's in charge, like you could go to your blog and be like, Oh, these are tips for me to make a more welcoming space for my employees. But then you also talk to people who are directly affected by discriminatory practices or marginalization, or even just people not understanding what it means to be neurodivergent, for example, or what it means to be non-binary. So I was wondering, was that always your intention or did you start the non-binary barista with a different sort of perspective on who you wanted to talk to? And then that perspective started kind of maybe going outward a little bit more.
1: I always kind of wanted the blog to be mostly a place for baristas and for baristas to find support. But I also didn't want it to kind of be this very insular, like kind of is just talking about what everything should be like without actually kind of having a step up. So I had, um, a lot of bosses that I worked for that were very open and honest about their business practices. And so I wanted to kind of incorporate what I've learned from bosses. I also wanted to talk to bosses that I've had and kind of be like, Hey, like, here are resources, here are what baristas are saying. And here's like actual things that you can fix. But also like, hey, baristas, like, here are ways that you can help yourself. Here are ways that your shop can be better. Like, let's kind of have a conversation not just between us, but also with owners, with management. So it's always been this conversation where I didn't necessarily want to exclude anyone by kind of making it just this inner world of baristas. And that was it.
0: Yeah. And something that you do really well in your blog, too, is that things are not prescriptive. Nothing is like you have to do things this way or you have to do things that way. But you invite conversation and you, I think, talk about frameworks of understanding and creating safety for people as opposed to saying you have to do X, Y and Z. Which I think is incredibly helpful. And one thing that you even um, that you wrote that I even wrote down was like people don't people don't know what they don't know. Like it, maybe maybe you wrote some version of that. But if somebody doesn't know to, you know, ask somebody like, what do you need because you are neurodivergent, then like the convert- like the, if there's no conversation, then there's no there's no like even place to start.
1: Yeah, I wanted it to. Like, I've worked at, I think, seven shops now, and they all run slightly similarly, but there's so many variances between them that I obviously knew there were so many ways that a shop could operate that I didn't want to be like, okay, this is exactly how you need to run your shop. This is exactly how you're going to make baristas happy. This is exactly how owners should be. That I was like, some are going to run differently than others, and that's okay. That it was like, I just need like a safe space for baristas, however you make that. So I want to kind of open up conversation between baristas, between owners, between management. I wanted management to kind of come from a standpoint of like, okay, how do people learn? How do people function? Like, how can we make this a safe space? How can we kind of ask better questions? And for baristas too, how can we ask better questions or kind of start these conversations with our managers to make it a good space for everyone?
0: how has your own experiences behind the bar informed the way that you approach your writing?
1: My own experiences behind the bar, like I kind of don't think about that. They inform my writing until I stopped working in coffee because of COVID that I was like, Oh, I'm just talking about past experiences. I'm just talking about what I've learned. And then I stopped working in coffee and it was like, Oh, so much of what I do is just informed by day-to-day interactions, by little things that I notice, by relating one instance from one shop to another instance at another shop that like, it was very much a struggle kind of during my unemployment moment of COVID where it was just like, I miss being on bar. I love being on bar. That's kind of who I am. I love interactions with customers, making coffee, and I need to get back on bar (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I know what you mean. I feel like I don't know if I remember how to steam milk. I know I do, but I don't know. Maybe <laughs> who knows? Um, you've also been uh, like a manager, or at least you've been in charge of a space, and you've been the person who's charged with like a group of people around you, and you've been the person who's like, I'm gonna you know make sure that you folks feel safe and welcome here. And I wonder where where did you learn that or what part of like your personality kind of identifies with this idea of like taking almost an outside lens taking like a bigger picture um like overview of what's happening and saying like this is what we need to do or this is what I think we need to do to kind of make sure people
1: feel welcome here so i've always been like the mom friend of the group and that kind of ties into every coffee shop that i've worked at i've been one of the older people on staff But um, I was a stage manager in theater for a while. So I was kind of managing everything, trying to take an outside lens of everything was literally my job. And then I started working in coffee. And after working in coffee for about two months, I um, I became a shift lead and kind of graduated up to supervisor barista. And so it became my job to kind of make a safe space for everyone. I wanted to always just make sure that everyone was good. Like it was kind of my like catchphrase. That I'd be like, Hey, you good? Hey, you need anything? You got it. Are we good? So that kind of informed a lot of where my blog comes from and just how I interact in shops now is just like making sure does everyone have what they need? Do I have what I need? Like, does everyone feel safe? Is everyone feeling heard? Like what can we do to make the shop better for everyone? Make it a safer space.
0: I do love that you're talking about this. Like it's so natural. Like it's it it's obvious. And I think that when we have these conversations, it's easy to think that these things are obvious. But I don't think that that's intuitive. I don't think that a lot of people who ascend like a management position think my job is to take care of my staff. I think they think. I know that I did as a manager when I first started. I was like, my job is to order stuff. My job is to increase sales. My job is to make my bosses happy, and. I don't know. It's just it, it it's just really refreshing to hear that like instead you stepped into that position and you were like, "Oh, my job is to like care for this staff in a holistic way." Did that evolve for you or did that change for you over time or did you realize that maybe like what I thought that meant was different over time?
1: I think when I first started, I was very much like, "Okay, if I make sure everyone else is good, they'll like me." That like okay, if I take care of everyone, they'll be happy with me. They won't be mad at me. And a lot of that stems with my own insecurities, my own kind of just symptoms of mental illnesses that I have. But then as I kind of grew as a person, as I tried to better myself, I also realized that, no, that's part of management. That's part of me wanting to take care of people is just if I take care of people if I kind of do my job as a manager and make sure that everyone feels good and feels safe, then the shop runs really well. Everyone is having a good time, including myself, and we all just have fun at work. Like, I think that most of the time work should be fun, especially at coffee shops where, like, Yes, customers can yell at you, but other times like there are days where we're all just listening to fun music and making coffee and having conversations with regulars that we like. And for the most part, that's the atmosphere that I want to create as a manager is making sure that everyone is just kind of having what they need and doing their job and doing it well and having the resources to do that.
0: I love that you mentioned that coffee shop jobs should be fun because I feel like people who are, I mean, I don't know why I'm, like, veiled. Augie's Coffee um, and other (laughs) union-busting coffee shops are like, well, if we have a union, like, work won't be fun and we can't be, like, loosey-goosey, relaxy-waxy. And I'm like, that's not true? (laughs) And that's also, like, not, like, nobody is trying to kill anybody's buzz. Um, But it's interesting how that language has been co-opted by people who want to retain control. The idea is that like I am the arbitrator of your experience and when you let go of that or when you assume that control from me as a worker, like suddenly it's not fun and we threaten all these things. So I love that you mentioned that like coffee jobs can be fun if people are well taken care of and their needs are considered.
1: And because like... I mean, yeah, there are the people that kind of just do coffee just because it's a fun gig or because it's just a nice job to have. But for a lot of people who do love the coffee and love making coffee and the industry itself, like, I think that a lot of us kind of find our passion with this. And when you're doing what you're passionate about, you should be having fun and enjoying yourself. And I feel like when it kind of becomes like, no, we're at work, you should only just be doing this, like head down and... With your customer service smile on and nothing else, that one, that's not practical because you're a human being and you're doing something that you love. But also, you're a human being with feelings and a life, and you have to kind of go home at the end of the day. And if you are working at a job where kind of owners are cracking the whip or just being like, no, you can't have fun, you can't get paid a decent wage, like it's not going to be fun. And you have to kind of go home and then come back the next day. And it's just, Exhausting and a little bit depressing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it seems like this cycle that just feeds into itself that, like, you're at work and you can't, you know, be your authentic self, or like your boss is saying that you're, you know, leave your personal life at the door, but then you're not getting paid enough. So then you go home, and then that's depressing because, like, maybe you're struggling to pay rent or you're struggling to figure out, like, where is money for this, this, and this going to come from? And then, like, it just keeps going. Um, And at no point, it seems, do a lot of employers really realize their role in that cycle. And I think that's one of the things that I really love about your blog. Like we were saying, it speaks not just to baristas, but it also speaks to managers and people who are in charge and gives them tactics to be like, this is what you can do to help your staff feel like work is a good place for them to be.
1: Yeah, because like, I think there is a balance of like, I mean, you are in a professional environment, you are working in customer service, but then there are times like there have been days, I mean, I literally came into work the day after my marriage ended and I was not okay. (laughs) And that's not something you can leave at the door and just kind of turn on your acting that like, it's like, okay, we need to make some adjustments here. And if I think if you're a good business, if you have a good staff, if you kind of created a safe space that you can work around that, that you can have the kind of support for people to still do their jobs, but still feel like it's a safe space, like they can communicate their needs and it works well still. Have you seen that in practice at all? Have you
0: ever experienced a moment where I guess I'll I'll zoom outward a little bit, but like, have you ever felt where there was a moment that you could be vulnerable about like the the feelings that you were having or the situation that you were in, where you felt like your staff or your bosses supported you,
1: yeah, like, like that instance where I came in and I was just crying, I was supposed to be on cash that day, and my manager at the time, who was just a gem of a human, uh was like, okay, like if you want to kind of go back and work on dishes, like we will try and kind of handle the front as much as we can, and if we need you like we'll come get you. And it was very much like a, okay, like, thank you for handling the front while I kind of deal with this on my own. And even while like in between some orders, like one of my coworkers was like, Hey, there's no one here. Like, do you need a hug? Or like a couple years ago, I was just having a really rough time and it was around Valentine's day. And my coworkers decided to buy me flowers from a pop-up that we had. And they were just like, Hey, I know that you're having a rough time. And we all just wanted to make sure that you felt loved and that we value you as a employee. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to go cry now. (laughs) Right. But not like the good tears. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I don't really cry in front of people, but I can't hold them back anymore. Thank you for loving me.
0: (laughs) I love that you mentioned the Valentine's day story because you wrote an article about working on Valentine's day and other holidays. And I think that's what was really fun about digging into your, into your blog. I was reading through a lot of the posts last night and this morning. It's it's not just about one thing. Even though it's called the non-binary barista, you talk about ableism, you talk about neurodivergency, you talk about like the pain of working on a holiday that maybe you don't feel very good about. And you also talk about like trauma and how trauma isn't linear, which I really want to break down a lot more. But let's talk a little bit about the diversity of the articles that you write like at what point did you realize that you wanted to talk about like more ideas and like did you ever feel limited at all because you're like well I called it this like I have to run with this
1: yeah very much so like when I first started out I was just like okay like I can kind of veer away and talk about neurodivergency or talk about ableism but I have to talk about gender mostly and then like as I kind of evolved as I kind of Like especially now that I moved to Virginia, like moving across the country is a lot, but it was more a lot than I thought. So I just have kind of been taking a break and trying to rebuild and work on this new life that I have for myself. But it was like, okay, I like I'm the non-binary barista, and I deal with being non-binary, but I also deal with ableism and neurodivergency and how that affects my work in coffee. That I don't always have to talk about gender that I want to talk about just kind of being a marginalized person in coffee. Because I felt like when I first started in coffee, I didn't have these resources that I would have loved to read an article about how to get through Valentine's Day, or how ADHD affects your work as a barista, that I would have loved to read those articles when I first started out. So Right. And I love
0: that you have so many different articles because there are so many different situations that we can be thrown into where we maybe don't have all the tools or know what to do. And what your blog, I think, does really well is say, I don't necessarily have the answers, but I know that this could be an issue. So let's at least talk about it. So I actually just did an interview with somebody else for a different uh, podcast project that I do. And they mentioned that while they were on bar, while it was really busy, they were allowed to listen to headphones and a customer mentioned to them like, Oh, or a customer mentioned to the, their boss. They're like, Oh, that person's wearing headphones. Like that seems unprofessional. And the boss was like, that's my best barista. And if this person needs headphones to focus and get their job done, then like, that's fine with me. Um, because I think like they, that was just like a way for them to cope with like the busyness of the coffee shop. Um, And that was the first time I had ever read something like that or ever heard something like that. And what I think, like I said, your blog does really well is like give these practical situations that maybe not a lot of people are equipped to deal with, but at least it gives people like a starting point to start talking about it.
1: Yeah, because like I know, especially because I've only worked in the coffee industry for four years, that it's like I know I don't have all the answers, but it's like I want to at least kind of start these conversations and have like let people know that these are issues that baristas deal with. And I want owners to know that they can start this dialogue. I want baristas to know that they can have these conversations with their manager and they're not going to just get fired for proposing an idea.
0: Hmm. Yeah, totally.
1: I think one of the
0: things, since we were just talking about that before, um, one of the things that doesn't get talked a lot about, and I think I've really only read it on your blog is neurodivergency within the Within the coffee sector and specifically behind the bar. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the articles that you've written on the topic and why this was important to you.
1: Yeah. So, over the last couple of years, I have been realizing that I have ADHD and I also have borderline personality disorder. So, that comes with anxiety and depression. So, that makes for a very interesting cocktail when I am in very stressful situations, but also informs just how I go about my life. And so, I remember having conversations with other baristas about just ADHD in general, as I was kind of realizing that I had it. And then the conversation, because it was usually with coffee people, we were like, oh, well, like it helps having ADHD when I'm working on shift because of this. Or, oh, it's really it's really overwhelming when like all the noise is going around and I just kind of get ADHD overwhelm and I don't know what to do. And so it just became this kind of passion of mine of like, okay, Let's talk about neurodivergency in coffee, because this affects a lot of baristas. It affects a lot of the baristas that I know personally, which means that there's many right. other baristas that I don't know that this will also hit home.
0: Right. Especially because there's such an expectation of how customer service interactions are supposed to go. Like, they're supposed to be like this. They're supposed to be like that. You're supposed to do everything the customer asks you to do, like, et cetera, et cetera. But- what your writing really highlights is that it's really easy to make accommodations that are not that hard to implement.
1: Exactly. And like sometimes it even like there are accommodations that can be met and people just don't know that those accommodations are necessary. So like I have a ear dampener headphone or ear plugs that I wear that I can still hear customers. I can still hear my coworkers, but it just dampens the sound and it makes all of my shifts just so much easier for me. And most people don't know that those are a thing. I didn't know those were a thing until a couple months ago. And then other times where it's like ADHD, like hyper-focus will kick in and I'll be working on bar. And I literally can't hear customers talking to me because my brain just filters them out. And so like, I've had it where like maybe a boss just doesn't understand that that's what's going on. They're like, Hey, I really didn't appreciate that customer interaction just now. Like we need to fix it. And I was like, what customer interaction. So it's just kind of starting that conversation of, hey, these accommodations are very necessary, but maybe you don't know that they're needed until we, ta- we talk about this.
0: Right, right. And I think it, you know, like, like we were saying, like you're not going to have the answers to everything, but it is on the onus of the people in charge to at least make it so that you can bring up an issue or like there is safety in a situation where you're like, Hey, I'm feeling this, like, is it okay for me to talk about it? Because like you were saying, like if you don't feel safe enough to even bring it up, like it often falls on the person who's affected the barista, the person kind of at the bottom um, of like the workplace situation to either bring up a situation that might feel potentially unsafe to them or to be quiet. And then like their performance is reflected on poorly because that manager hasn't made the space to hear them out.
1: Yeah. And I also like to kind of mention like what I may need as far as accommodations is not necessarily what the barista next to me will need as far as accommodations. So that's why usually on my blog, I'm just like, hey, start this conversation. Like, let's talk about this. Let's like ask your baristas what they need if they need anything.
0: Right. And that just opens up like your toolkit too, right? Like, You just get so many other tools that you can approach a situation with. And instead of feeling like, hey, I didn't like that customer interaction, maybe your response is like, hey, like I noticed this. Like, is there something that I can do for you to like help you in this situation? Or even just saying, like, I noticed this. Like, let's talk about it. Yeah. One thing that I think you talk about that doesn't get talked about enough in coffee is the idea of leaving your feelings at the door especially in customer service interactions where like your part of the experience is your personality. Like you are, you are almost an offering in a way, um, because you're talking to people, you're talking to customers about their days, their lives. And it's, I think, virtually impossible to leave your feelings at the door. So I was wondering what, what what does that evoke for you? Like what, what prompted you to write about this topic?
1: I think it's something that I just think about a lot because I am a very much an internal person. I can very much kind of have the customer service conversations very easily, but I will very much kind of go and internalize everything that happens. So, and I just internalize a lot. But um I I think that my personality should come through in my job because I'm at my job for 40 plus hours a week that I think customers are going to see me and not just see me as just another employee at a shop they go to, but if they see kind of my fun glasses or my, I've had customers compliment me on nerdy t-shirts or whatever, but like very much my personality comes through and they're going to see me like four to five times a week. They sometimes see me more than their friends because they have to make an appointment to see their friends, but they come and to my shop all the time that like, I very much have to be comfortable with myself because I'm very much in a person facing job. And so I'm perceived a lot. Right. And you even mentioned a specific
0: time where like you weren't feeling very good during the, uh, 2018, uh, Brett Kavanaugh trial. And, Before we started recording, which I do this every time, like I do this every time where I mentioned, like, before we started recording, and I'm like, well, it doesn't matter because the people weren't listening to it because we didn't record it. But before (laughs) we started recording, um, I mentioned uh, the 2016 election and how tough that was for the staff that I was working with at the coffee shop I was at. And I think something that I want to kind of pull apart a little bit, and I wanted to see what you think of this, is that being your authentic self and being upfront with how you feel is not mutually exclusive from providing good service. And I think that's where that conflation happens, where people are like, if you don't check your feelings at the door, then you're going to provide a bad customer service experience. And I think what you are are writing is almost implying the opposite, that that's not the case.
1: Yeah, I very much agree that like, I think there is this notion that kind of customer service, you have to be happy all the time and therefore customers will be happy all the time because they'll match your energy. And sometimes customers come in and they are unhappy and sometimes they're unhappy in a way that you can't really handle. But other times there are ways, like I've had people come in and like one of them was thinking about kind of dumping her boyfriend because they just weren't working. And so she was not okay. And it was one of those where like me coming up and being like, hi, what can I get started for you? Would not help in that situation. And it's like, Hey, like I noticed while I was taking your order that you were a little down. Is there, is everything okay? And you start that conversation, you start these relationships or during the 2016 election, I wasn't working in coffee at the time, but there was definitely kind of this relationship between me and my customers where I was like, we're both not okay and we recognize this and we can kind of like bond with each other about that we're not okay. And yeah, I've definitely, and around the same time that COVID was kind of starting to shut things down, me and my coworkers were like, we're having the same conversation about COVID and how nervous we are. And after a while, like some of the customers started to notice that we were kind of tired, even though we tried not to show it. And like, we started kind of this little game where it was like, hey, tell me something non-COVID related about your life while I make your latte. And they were like, they would do it. And they were like, oh, like, I just got a new dog or whatever. And they were like, wow, you must have these same conversations all the time. And we were like, yeah, but you know, like, it is a part of life, but we kind of got to make it fun for all of us and do what we can to make the best of it. So it was kind of, I think that you can have the energy that you have without like, making it affect how you relate to people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's not like you were mentioning the, the person who was about to tell their boyfriend, like meeting them with this high level of energy, which I would say most bosses would be like, this is good customer service is was like not appropriate in that situation. So how do we, how do we think about service as almost like a circular holistic, experience between you and the customer because you're part of it too like you're 50% of it so like how do you bring yourself into the situation that feels organic and true and real but still providing good service like I said like those are not mutually exclusive things and I think that as I read your blog that's what I think more and more about Um, because like I said like we're trained to think like oh always put a smile on and like the customer is always right. It's like, uh, no,
1: (laughs) no, that's bad. That's not good. That's not sustainable. And I think what gets lost in the customer service mentality is that not only is the customer human and they're allowed to kind of get angry or sad or whatever, but we're human too. And like, we are at a job. So like, we can still maintain that professional integrity and that professional standard. But we're also human. There are going to be days when we're not feeling it. And I've definitely had customers be like, hey, how's it going, Brit? And I'm like, you know, I'm not really having such a good day, but you know, I'm here at work and like making lattes. And usually customers kind of pick up on that. And it's not necessarily like a downer, like, oh, well, I'm not going to tip them because they were having a bad day. But like, they're like, oh, like, I'm so sorry to hear about that. I hope it gets better. Thanks for my latte. And like, even just kind of seeing each other at that point and like being seen that, like, you know, it's okay. You're human. Like we can both have bad days is really validating. And it makes it so that I'm not just kind of putting on this mask all the time. Mm -hmm. So this is the
0: part of the interview where I'm going to ask you some meta questions and they might be weird, (laughs) but whatever, let's go for it. Um, so I was wondering, like, so I write a lot too. And I often think about why I write. And like what what the point of writing is for me, and I think I read this quote once by Ana Anaïs Nin, who writes a lot of erotica. Um, but one thing I I, I I'm not 100 percent sure if it's from her, but I think one time she wrote, "I write not to I write not to capture something, but I write like not to forget it." So like the idea is that like I'm not writing to like generate new stuff. I'm like writing to remember like what's happening to me. And I wonder as you're writing like what kind of like have you like what kind of thoughts like come into your mind like what are you thinking about like as you're sitting down and writing down like an article or a story idea or even like the sci-fi um fantasy writing that you do those are not the same and I know that I made a faux pas there. Um but like like how like how do you feel like like writing kind of generates your soul because I think for me like writing is all about remembering.
1: I went to a writing workshop for a poet named Ariel Astoria. And she actually summed it up really well that how she feels about writing is she writes down everything on the page to help, like, heal herself and to kind of put everything that she's feeling down on a page and sort through it in her own mind. And then she gives it to people. She shares her writing, like, to heal, to help other people heal. Like, once it's kind of released, it's not hers anymore. Like, her healing has kind of already been done in the act of writing. And ever since I heard that, I'm like, yes, that is exactly how I feel because there are so many times where like, whether it's like writing that I'm going to publish, writing that I'm working on or just writing, like, I don't know how to process this situation. So I'm going to write down all of my feelings that like, I need to just kind of write it out. And I express myself so much better in writing than I do kind of talking to people or like when I internalize it, it can all kind of get jumbled and lost. But when I write it down, it just makes so much more sense. It's exactly kind of what I'm feeling. And I just feel better. Like it's like a sigh of relief once I write it. That then when I'm like sharing it, like I still kind of have that insecurity that I think all writers have of like, oh, well, people like it. But at that point, like it kind of doesn't really feel like mine anymore. It's like, okay, I wrote it. I had all the like feelings about it then that now it's for other people.
0: I love that. I love that that was uh, I'm going to I'm going to have to look up that that author that you mentioned. Something else that you do a lot on your blog is that you interview people a fair amount and I was wondering how you approach not getting information from people but how do you approach an interview where you're maybe trying to find out something new or different from somebody, maybe something that they've never said out loud or something that they maybe didn't even know that they thought until they said it out loud. Have you ever had moments like that?
1: So I, for the most part, I have taken journalism classes and I've kind of learned how to interview people. And I really hate how to interview people, kind of how you're taught in college or how you're taught through journalism that I think some of the best kind of interviews come from just having like an honest conversation. And as I kind of dove into the coffee industry, I just realized that there were so many just fascinating people in the industry. That I was just like I want, like I want to be their friend. I want to talk to them. I want to find out like what makes them tick. And so at the beginning of like the Black Lives Matter movement last year, that uh, I wasn't working in coffee, but I still wanted to connect with other coffee people. And I realized that there were people that were combining their love of coffee with their activism. And so it was just like. Hey, I want to interview you, but I also just want to like talk to you, like what are you doing? How are you like as a person, just combining these loves? because I just find that amazing. And so I just think that the best revelations come from just talking to other people and having conversations and letting them talk like say who they are.
0: There's something very like generative about you, which is not a word that I think one could use as an adjective. But I'm going to go with it. Um, and it reminds me I actually wrote this quote down from one of your articles. You wrote, "Everything you do is better than what you didn't do." And that seems to be that seems to be true in a lot of the work that you do. You seem to be the type of person again, this is where I get meta and try to analyze people. but it seems like you're a person who just like tries things you're like what like like let me just try and see what happens and I admire that so much because I think that like it's so easy to get in your own way but like there's not like there's not a lot of risks sometimes and like yeah I'm gonna make a cooking blog and if two if I do two blogs and do blog post and then I don't do it again like so fucking what
1: yeah I very much just like I have all these ideas and I'm just like I'm gonna go for it I'm gonna do it because I'm so excited about it and sometimes they just don't work and I'm like OK, like that didn't work out, but it's fine because I have this other idea. Right. <laughs> so I just kind of right. always have more and more ideas. And I've just like learned very quickly that it's like, OK, the worst that can happen is that it didn't work out. And I have this other thing like sometimes I worry that I'll run out of ideas, like especially with kind of my fiction writing. But then like a month or so goes by and I'm like, oh, but what about this? I could write a story about this. I could write an article about this. Yeah.
0: Um, one really wonderful thing that I love about your blog too, is that you'll have these very serious, very important blog posts. And then in the middle, you'll have these like amazing brew recipes, but then you also have these like fun, ridiculous experiments. Like how many pour overs can you stack on top of each other and still make coffee? And I was wondering if you have any, uh, fun experiments in the in the offing. Anything you're coming coming up with soon?
1: Uh so I'm actually working on a little like coffee booklet where like okay, so you're making coffee in the morning, you're tired, you don't really look at your grinder and you grind it on the wrong setting. And I feel like so many people are like, "Oh, well crap, I just ground for a French press when I was trying to make espresso." That I'm trying to make kind of a booklet where it describes how to make coffee with different brewers on the wrong grind setting. So you don't waste coffee. So I've been brewing like V60s with like French press ground coffee. And it's really interesting to kind of like have multiple filters or like controlled channeling or like really low temperatures or really high temperatures because it really messes with your brain. Cause you like in the coffee industry, we talk about like, okay, you have like your three pores, you have your 32nd bloom, you have your like, This is the grind setting for this brewer. But it's like, what if we could own, like, we couldn't change the grind size and we still had to brew coffee. How do you make a somewhat decent cup of coffee so you don't waste it?
0: I love that. I can't wait till that comes out. Um, Before we close out, is there anything that you would want people to know about you?
1: Um, well, you can find me on Instagram where I typically talk about not only just coffee and my love for coffee, but, I talk a lot about kind of my own issues with mental health, with being disabled, uh, and that's kind of how I live my life. I'm also incredibly nerdy, so that doesn't really come up a lot on Instagram or like in my coffee relationships, but like when people actually meet me in person, they're like, oh, wow, you like love Doctor Who and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and all of these nerdy things. Wow, you are a huge nerd. I'm like, yes.
0: (laughs) I also love that you mentioned uh, your fun glasses because they are very fun. I was wondering if you could describe them for our listeners. Yeah,
1: so I have uh, two main pairs of glasses that I wear. One are like pentagon shaped and they have little jester hands that hold the glasses frames in place. And then they have pearls for nose pads. And then I have another pair that are basically the bi pride flag. They're like they kind of the edges are purple. The inside are pink and the like where my nose is is blue and then they're very sparkly and fun so i love just kind of expressing myself through really fun glasses
0: that's delightful
1: well Brittany, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me i really appreciate it yeah thank you for having me
0: that was Brittany sims who runs the non-binary barista blog which you can find on the internet by googling the non-binary barista blog and you can also follow them on Instagram at bloggerbrit, B R I T. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.
1: I'm just looking for a
0: better day. is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bosporista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com slash We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com bossbarista barista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, Someone who you think would learn something from this episode? Anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us. That would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.